You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. I got my voice back, so I lost my voice last week. Yeah, one person's excited about it. That's great. Uh, that's funny. Uh, somebody said, uh, they said, you know, Pastor Ryan, oh, you lost your voice. And then somebody chimed in, pretty smart, Alex, said, oh, I bet your wife's happy. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's funny. Okay. Uh, uh, no, it's great having my voice back. I lost it. Got laryngitis. I, I, I jinxed myself. God humbled me. I told one of our coworkers that she lost her voice. I was like, 20 years of ministry, of preaching, never got stopped by being sick. 10 years of planting and pastoring the church, preaching week after week. Even COVID didn't shut me down. I preached through COVID from my house on the video camera. And she was like, well, be careful. <laughs> two days later, I can't talk. Well, like Zachariah or something. Lord humbled me. So anyway, but I got my voice back. I called Pastor Daryl. He's a friend of mine. Bob did a great job last week, didn't he? That was a God-ordained timing. Um, but I called Pastor Daryl, former president of Phoenix Seminary and uh, found, uh, a senior pastor at Scottsdale, one of my mentors. And I called him and I said, pa- I just called. I said, Pastor Daryl. He's like, oh, who is this? I said, it's me, Pastor Ryan. He goes, Good Lord, son, you sound like one of those hotlines. <laughs> I was like, well, I lost my voice. He's like, I, I hear that. What do you need? I said, could you preach if I can't preach? He said, I'm in your back pocket. I'll do, I'll, I'm on standby. I said, great. Then he told me the story. He said, you know, Ryan, he said, uh, back at Scottsdale Bible years ago, the lead singer from Megadeth came in and he was a Christian and I got to baptize him and he lost his voice when he was on tour. He'd be screaming all the time, you know, so screamo music. How many of you like screamo music, hardcore rock rock and roll? There you go. A couple of you rockers out there. Come on. (laughs) So anyway, uh, Megadeth guy gets saved and then he can't, you know, his voice is, it's just some tra- challenges are going on. Pastor Daryl said to him, man, I got to preach five services. How do you make it? And the guy said, Lay's potato chips. So I tried Lay's potato chips all week long. It was great. Uh, oiled up the larynx. It did, it did real good. So uh, anyway, I'm excited. I, I got my voice back. I got to spend some time with my mom and my dad. They were in town this week, had a great time. Uh, went camping uh, with my son and a couple of friends here from the church and my dad and mom and just had a great time and didn't talk a lot out in the back country. Can't talk, you know, you're not supposed to talk. So I literally, I have not said hardly anything very loud for the last week. And so here I am today. I'm honored and privileged to uh, kick off a brand new teaching series called The, uh, the Guts and the Glory of Giving. Um, I came up with the title to give you an indication of what I believe is so important about giving. God wants us to be givers, and we all want to be givers. We all want to be generous people. So we're just going to take a look about what the Bible has to say about it. Today's message is probably the most unique message I I think I've ever preached, Uh, besides the Song of Songs. When I taught through the Song of Songs, that was a lot of fun. Uh, my, My daughter and any family member always like to run out the the, uh, the sanctuary as fast as possible where you're teaching about sex from the Song of Songs. But um, this is a very unique message today. The title of it is The Guts and Glory of Ownership. Let's say ownership together. Ownership. And I know exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, he's going to just tell us that God owns it all, so therefore we, you know that. I'm not going to start there. Um, I'm going to tell you a biblical foundation that the Bible supports the idea of private property and ownership for you and for me. And so, and how that can be used for God's glory. Because if you don't own anything, how, how do you give anybody anything? If it's not yours to give, then you can't give it. Amen? It's like uh, my son tries to borrow my stuff and then he sees somebody that needs something. Hey, you want this? It's like, hey, wait, wait a second. That's mine. Don't give away my stuff. Uh, it's like uh, I've seen it before. Uh, my mom came in town and she was reminding us that uh, when uh, we were growing up, my sister would go out with her friends and all of a sudden we'd be out around dinner and her friends were wearing my mom's clothes. And we're like, hey, that, that, that's, <laughs> that looks familiar. That looks like my mom's. Uh, so we're going to look at ownership. Um, 
Um, one of the very first things I think that we need to realize is it's innate in us to want to possess something and to own something. I mean, when babies come out of the womb, one of the very first words that they say is, help me out, mine. Um, so we think of that as a very greedy thing oftentimes, but it also can be a very good thing um, that they have possession of something. Um, my daughter, uh, I've got twins that are 18 years old, and we've given them ownership in the house of at least their domain, their room. Um, my daughter, Riley, she's 18. Uh, she uh, has her room so nicely organized and carpet. She makes me take off the shoes when I go into her room. I'm like, we didn't teach you like that, but that's fine. Okay, we'll do that. And it looks beautiful. My son, on the other hand, that's a totally different story. That room does not look like that. Um, my daughter, uh, so he's got a, a little truck he bought and he's taken ownership of it. And I'm very proud of him. And my daughter, Maya, she's 11. She just got her first puppy. She's been waiting for this puppy for 10 years. Ever since uh, she was one years old, she's wanted a puppy. And that dog's name is Happy. And we were listening to Happy by one of that, uh, that pop song called Happy. And she said, Dad, the dog's name is Happy. I said, well, that's perfect. Um, that's Ron Horn, that fellow right there. He's a, a dog trainer, dog breeder, a good friend of mine out in the West Valley. And he found out Maya wanted a puppy and he gave her that puppy. So now Happy is huge and uh, growing fast. But owning things, let's talk about owning things and, because it is the foundation of giving. If we're going to do a giving series, next week I'll, touch, touch, I'll teach on the biblical idea of tithing. Uh, the following week uh, will be on sacrificial giving. And so, uh, but today I want to talk to you about the guts and the glory of ownership. It's a problem in our country. Uh, in the United States, home ownership is on a significant decline. Very, very, very fast decline. When you exit out of our church property and you drive down the frontage road, what are you going to see? You're going to see rentals. And some of you live there, and that's great, and there's nothing wrong with renting, but if nobody owns anything, that can be a problem. Um, when we moved into the valley, I told my wife, we need to buy a house as fast as we can, because I knew that if we bought a house in a community, you know what signal that says to the rest of the people in the, around the community? He's here. He's not moving away. They bought a house. Um, so... I want to start with this idea of ownership, uh, but before I, I get into the scripture, I want to tell you about a concern. Uh, it's kind of circulated. Um, anybody familiar with the World Economic Forum? Uh, so there's some pretty powerful people that are involved in this group. Um, people like Bill Gates, um, Al Gore, Jeff Bezos, a number of other individuals. Yeah, the World Economic Forum is a non-governmental lobbying organization based out of Switzerland. The founder is Klaus Schwab. In 2016, um, they came up with a series of predictions of where the United States would be by 2030. And um, this was in 2016. Their number one prediction was is that saying that uh, American citizens would own nothing and be happy. That's kind of weird to me. Don't tell me I'm going to be happy if I don't own anything. Their number two uh, prediction was that the U.S. wouldn't be the world's superpower. A handful of other countries would dominate. And one of their last predictions was that Western values as we know it would be tested to a breaking point and would be eroded. Western values, i.e. Christian Judeo ideas. This country was founded on Christian Judeo thought. Um, at worst, the uh, founding fathers were deist or a theist, uh, but uh, at best they were Christians. Um, so you got all sorts of folks like Bill Gates, Leonardo DiCaprio, Al Gore, Jeff Bezos, uh, some of the guys from Google, all a part of this group. And there's kind of an anti-ownership kind of movement going on within our country and I don't think, I think we need to have the right mindset as a Christian. If you live in the United States of America, you need to have the right mindset. Your mindset doesn't need to be cultural. It needs to be Christian. Your mindset needs to be biblical. 
And so with a topic like this, I can't go to one passage. I need to go to multiple passages because I want to tell you what the Bible has to say about this concept. So I'm going to start at the beginning in the book of Genesis. It's the foundation for all of humanity and the creation story. It's a historical uh, recording of how everything started. So Genesis 1, 27 through 28, perhaps you're going to see this in a new lens today that you haven't seen it before. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. Um, but let me first, here's the first point that I'm going for. Number one is that God's word promotes the ideas of private property and ownership. So contrary to the cultural trends, contrary to other ideas out there, ownership from the Bible standpoint, I'm going to teach, and this idea is actually that the Bible promotes the ideas of private property and ownership. And here's the foundational thought is if you don't have anything to own, then you don't have anything to give. Does that make sense? Okay. So Genesis 1:27 through 28 says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Say these two genders for me. Only two. If you Google how many genders there are, there's 68 right now, according to Google. Um, so this is the, the foundation of humanity. This is your first parent. Your first parents. Your, uh, Adam and Eve. And the foundation of it. God created them. What's the first thing that God says to them? Watch this. God blessed them. And God said to them. Uh-oh. Parentheses or quotations. Be fruitful and multiply, that means at least have a lot of kids, right? So we got a lot of young moms in the church right now having babies. So children are a gift of the Lord, amen? So let's celebrate those children right now. Wonderful kids. The Bible advocates pro-life. Babies matter. Even babies in the womb. God blessed them. Blessing comes. God said to them, he blesses and then he commands, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, everything around, all all the land, fill every area, subdue it, and have, help me out, dominion. What do those words mean This is a creation mandate woven into the heart and the soul of every man and woman on the planet. God made male, female. He told them, be fruitful, multiply. That means that we should try to have babies. It means that we should do anything we can to multiply. God cares about the human race. God cares about people. We're to be fruitful, multiply, but then we're supposed to do something. Subdue and have dominion. Subdue means to overcome. Subdue means to bring under control. How can you overcome something, nature, land, animals, whatever, or bring under total control if you don't take ownership of it? Does that make sense? You have to tame it. Dominion, it means a sovereign control. So God is telling the first people, you're going to take sovereign control over the earth. That's pretty powerful. This is the word dominion means, it means to attempt to establish dominion over it all. Everything. So there, right there in the Old Testament, I would say from the creation mandate is an implicit idea of ownership. How can you subdue something or how can you have dominion over it if you don't own it? If you don't own it, it's not yours to have dominion over. If you don't own it, then you can't subdue it. You can't subdue it. It's somebody else's. So... That's number one in the passage we'll look at. The other one would be the Ten Commandments. How many of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments? Raise your hand. They took them out of our public schools years ago. I would argue that they're the very basic foundation for all of society, no matter 
uh, what worldview that they hold to, but these Ten Commandments are the most powerful truths that really build every civilization on the planet. Um, the Eighth Commandment is this special one. It says, Exodus 20, 15, it says, you shall not steal. Um, God spoke to Moses to write down the Ten Commandments on stone tablets, which would form as a, uh, a law for what would be the nation of Israel. And then that law for the nation of Israel would become like a light to all the other nations. And the Ten Commandments were very much part of the fabric and ideology of American uh, formation. This uh, law uh, is the Eighth Commandment. It says, you shall not steal. It implies ownership. I can't take, if I like that guy's shirt, I can't take his shirt because he owns it. If you like my shoes, you can't take my shoes because I own it. You're not supposed to take stuff from people. The first four commandments focus on worship. You shall have no other God. You shall uh, not make any graven image to worship. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You're to remember the Sabbath. That has to do with worship. Well, five, six, and seven have to do with a right lifestyle. You're to honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And then the eighth one is you shall not steal. That's about property. Nine and ten have to do with neighbors. You shall not bear false witness about your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. But right there in the middle, eight, if that wasn't in the Ten Commandments, we would be in big trouble. It implies that you're not to steal something. And if you do, the Bible tells us that actually you should be punished severely as part of the law. Because somebody else owns that. So let me just give you some examples. You know, like in the Old Testament, it was commanded um, that individual, individuals had the right to property and it was to be protected and respected. In the Old Testament, commands not to steal someone's ox or donkey. And if anybody stole any kind of property like that, they're to be punished four to five times the amount of whatever they stole. So it's not just restitution, it was punitive. Like you're going to get punished for doing that. Furthermore, when it comes to land in the Old Testament, there's a command in Deuteronomy 19.14 says, you shall not move your neighbor's landmark. What does that mean? That means that when people were, uh, uh, were uh, forming uh, homes and, and properties and fields, they would get stones and they would set them up as boundary markers. And if you were to go up to that stone and just move it 10 feet over, well, you're stealing somebody else's land. You, you can't do that. And there's to be punishments for that if you were to break those laws. So what am I saying? The Old Testament supported the idea of ownership, clearly. Uh, back in Arkansas, when we were forming up our land, um, we were building fences, and my dad had all the boys work on, uh, throughout the week, and then we would build fences and cut trees down. And to put a marker on there, we would paint purple paint. And purple paint means no trespassing in Arkansas. I don't know what it means here. But it means no trespassing. And if somebody shaved that purple paint off and moved it in, they're stealing our land. The Bible's clear in the Old Testament that land's a big deal. Uh, the nation of Israel, if you were part of a tribal member of the, in the nation of Israel, you had registered land and you're to take care and you're to go back like we know Joseph would go back to his homeland. So ownership's in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Some people say, oh, well, I think the New Testament and the early church pr promoted the idea of kind of a communistic idea where everybody just gave everything away and they didn't own anything. It was just, you know, it was love and peace and possessions not important and homes aren't important. And this is the passage I think many people have wrongly interpreted, Acts 2.44 through 46. This is the early church. This is the formation of... Uh, of the church, and it's describing the, the life and the explosion of the church, its growth. And it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
Some people have said, well, you know, that seems like communism, like they, they don't own anything. They're just giving away all their property, all their possessions, and, and that's what a, a shared community. Uh, there's three reasons why that's not communism. Let me first define communism. Communism is the political theory derived from Karl Marx in which all property is publicly owned. So nobody has private property in communist ideas. Each person works accordingly, and they're paid according to their abilities and, the, and their needs, and it's determined by the government. Uh, that's communism. So, three reasons why this wasn't communism in the New Testament. Number one, the giving was voluntary. It was not compelled by the government of Rome. It was not compelled by the church. It was a voluntary thing. If you see the scripture, it was something they decided to do. They decided to give their possessions away. They decided to sell a house. They decided to give their finances. It's something that they choose to do. And that's very consistent in the New Testament in giving. Giving is a choice that you make. It's not something you do because the government is making you do it or the church. Amen? Yeah. So tax day is coming and you're like, Lord, I got to write a check. Uh, and uh, that goes to improve um, uh, our, our city, our infrastructure, and a lot of other things. And that, that message is for another day, but we'll leave that alone for now. Number two, though, is people didn't give away everything. They still had homes to meet in and share with others. Look at Acts 2.46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They were doing this. And they, there was a place where they could have food and fellowship. And it was a wonderful thing. And in fact, it, so they still had homes. It's not like everybody got rid of their homes. Um, so again, it was voluntary and People didn't give everything away. They still had homes to meet in all throughout the scriptures. You look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 16, 19, churches were meeting in homes. The explosive uh, growth of the church happened in homes. Um, so because they were ready, readily available for believers to gather and worship Jesus when Christianity would be outlawed and you would be anti-patriotic, and you would be a threat to the King Caesar if you're worshiping King Jesus, so they met in homes. So homes, private property, played a huge role in the formation and the flourishment of the New Testament church. Additionally, the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Peter, told Ananias and Sapphira they didn't have to feel any obligation to sell their property. They did, and give their money to the church. He told them, you don't have to do this. But then they did, and they lied about it, and they were punished. So also consider, I'm not going to spend as much time here, but consider also just uh, Jesus himself and how he utilized homes. Uh, we just have been in the Gospel of John. We've been there for about a, more than a year and a half now. And uh, where was Jesus and his disciples' headquarters? Oftentimes, it was in a, it was a home. Mary, Martha, um, help me out, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, and that's where they, they, he would stay with his disciples, according to Luke 10 and John 11. Furthermore, I would argue that in, within the New Testament, and specifically the Gospels, Jesus uh, called for savvy money managers, ownership, and entrepreneurialism. He at least alluded to it and created all sorts of illustrations that were very, very positive with those ideas. So I'll just name some out. The parable of the talents is a story of a man who entrusted very, was entrusted uh, varied amounts of wealth to three of his employees. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, he gave two. And to another, he gave one bag. Each was according to the individual's ability. Two of the servants are faithful. They invest the money and they earn an interest and they're greatly rewarded. One of the servants or employees is lazy and proves to be unfaithful and unrewarded. I think there is uh, multiple principles there in, the, in that story, but one would just be his entrepreneurialism. You take what you have and you do it and use it for the glory of God. Amen? Like, you're not going to be applauded in the scriptures for being lazy and doing nothing. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. 
those, the Proverbs even say, go to the, the anthill, thy sluggard, and learn of her ways. So like work, do stuff, be fruitful, multiply, be creative. That's one of the parables, and there's the parable of the hidden treasure. It, it indicates a man uh, saw an opportunity. He saw somebody else's land had a treasure on it. And this is a fictional story to highlight uh, insight to the kingdom of God and I think just principles for life. He sees somebody else's land's got a treasure on it. He knows that it's got a treasure on it. He sells everything he has and goes and buys that property. That's pretty savvy. So, so these ideas are all throughout the parables, all throughout Jesus' teaching. The wise and the foolish builder, homeowner, manager. The weed among the wheats, owner of a field, the mustard seed, owner of a field, the laborers in the vineyard, small business owner, manager. This is all throughout the scripture. So that's the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament. Foundation is, let's go back to that uh, point if we can, Kevin. That point would be is that private property and ownership is actually a good thing. Private property and ownership is a good thing according to scripture, to God's word. So what about our country, the United States of America? I'll tell you what I believe about the United States, and everybody's entitled to their own opinion. I believe we're one of the most prosperous and blessed nations on the, on the planet. And I believe that because of our founding documents were woven not from popular ideology, but from Scripture. At best, again, they were deists, the founding fathers, at, or at worst, they were deists. At, at best, they were Christians. But concepts like the idea of ownership are all throughout the Constitution and very valuable. Not every nation has that value of private property. America's founding fathers, I believe, clearly understood private property is the foundation not only for prosperity, but for freedom. If you don't own something, then you can't be free because you're on somebody else's land. If you don't own something, so at the end of the day, if somebody says, vacate the home because you don't own it, guess who's leaving? You are. Um, we got all sorts of HOA violations at my house. We got three letters in the mail. We got to go deal with those. My dad came into town and he parked his RV out there and, you know, they gave us all sorts of citations. I'm always wondering who, which neighbor reported us, you know? <laughs> Uh, so it's got my wife and I thinking like, Lord, I mean, our lifestyle is different, man. I, it's tough, you know, but you got to figure out the value of it and see the blessing in it. America's founding fathers, like I said, I think the Constitution protects property rights through the Fifth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment. There's due process clauses. Uh, the Fifth Amendment, there's taking clauses. So if, say, um, the highway, you know, the, 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 the Arizona Department of Transportation or whatever, or the laws come through and they say, you know what, we need to build a highway right through, you know, this area. By law, they can take it through the Constitution, but they try not to do that. And if they do take it, they do just compensation. Does that make sense? They're not going to just take it away, their property, and put a highway through there. They're at least going to just compensate. Um, I was thinking, I called a friend of mine who's um, part of uh, the Native American reservations, because if you drive down the 101, you see like the casino on one side, and then you see a lot of just empty, desolate land. And then if you look on the other side, you see Scottsdale and all its prosperity. You want, you want to know the big difference between the two? Private property. Native Americans don't have private property, so they can't build stuff as much. Everything is leased. The tribal community doesn't uh, uh, value that idea as much, and there's a lot of challenges. A lot of the property is tied up in, in, in trust uh, with the United States government. But nations that don't have property are generally poor. The communist idea, Karl Marx said in the Communist Manifesto, the theory of communism could be summed up in a single sentence. It's the abolition of private property. If you're getting all sorts of cool conversations about communism, I'll just tell you, it's a very bad idea. It doesn't lead to the flourishing of humanity. It doesn't lead to the freedom that we need to thrive. 
Karl Marx in his manifesto says it's the abolition of private property. Communist countries like North Korea, Cuba, China, Laos, Vietnam. You look at those, there's a huge correlation between the lack of private property and poverty. Poor countries don't have private property. I know that's simplifying it, but it's pretty close. Consider North Korea, a communist country, versus South Korea. Uh, South Korea is a free market economy. North Korea is a communist country. It's poor. South Korea, free market, private property, rich. One has freedom. The other one is enslaved to the government. My point in saying this is to lay down a biblical foundation that's countercultural, at least in, it's fatty right now, like it's cool not to own. I don't think that's a good idea. I think we're to be called the people of blessing. You and I are to be the givers. How do we give if we don't own anything? How do we bless people if it's not ours to give and bless somebody with? So, what is going on here? Are we owners? Absolutely we are. But who's the ultimate owner of everything? God. Number two, God is the ultimate owner of everything, undeniably. So this is what you expected me to teach on? I know you did. You didn't expect me to teach that you were the owner. But you needed that. I've never heard one church teach what I just taught you. I don't know why. Maybe it was assumed in Christian culture for the last few decades. But every Christian church that's faithful to the Bible will clearly teach this. And I agree with this. So let's walk through some passages to make you feel good and go, yes, hallelujah, this is good. And it is good. Watch this. But notice the word I put, God is the ultimate owner. Because I think God invites you in to his God-like activity when he says, I created you, I made you, now I want you to go create, and I want you to go make. You get to name people. That's my child. This is a name I give you. Nobody else gets to do that for living creatures, but humans. So Exodus 19.5, all the earth is mine, declares the Lord. Deuteronomy 10.14, behold to the Lord, your God, belong heaven in the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Job 41.11, whatever is under the whole heavens is mine. Psalms 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 1 Corinthians 7, 23, you were bought with a price, means that the life that you live is not your own, means Jesus paid it all. If you haven't figured that out, you should put your faith in Jesus Christ. He bought you. He paid for it all the cross of Calvary. 1 Timothy 6, 7, you have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. So all of our material possessions, unlike the Egyptians who believed that they could take all their material possessions with them into heaven, we can't do that, but we are commanded to, to take care of the things. So how do we do that? Number three, the guts and glory of ownership. We are ultimately God's stewards. So this is, again, what you were probably thinking I was going to teach on when it came to ownership. And this is a very, very powerful theological paradigm. What you need is a, a Christian worldview or biblical worldview. So we teach and affirm what the Bible teaches and affirms, and that's called stewardship theology. Um, let me define it for you. Stewardship is managing every resource on earth for the glory of God and the good of others, including oneself. So you should steward everything you have. You sh I had to steward my voice this week. I was quiet as much as I could because I knew I needed to come and preach. Uh, we have to steward everything that we have, all the resources. This is what God has called you and I to. Let's say stewardship theology. One, two, three. That's what it is. Theology is the right way to view God, a right way to think about things. So stewardship theology says this. This is what the Bible teaches. It's managing every resource on earth for the glory of God and the good of others. Amen? But notice that one part I put in there for you is including oneself. 
Why? Because you were bought and paid for a price. Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and that he lives in you? Steward your whole life. Make your life count. Um, There's stewardship theology. This is what we teach. But then there's over here on an extreme level of thinking with possessions and materialism. Um, And materialism always isn't bad. We think of it bad a lot of times. But on this side is when you think it's bad, you can get into what's called poverty theology. And it's if you believe the idea that if you have a very poor home, a very, very little material possessions, that somehow you're holier. And this is why some uh, monastics have made vows of poverty, because they believe material possession is evil. And so the more you retreat and recluse and have nothing, you are holier. The problem with that is there's plenty of wealthy, wealthy people all throughout the Bible that are very godly, and they use it for the glory of God. So Nicodemus, the very wealthy, affluent uh, theologian who engaged with Jesus on uh, thoughts about regeneration. Uh, You have in the Old Testament, you have in the New Testament, Priscilla and Aquila, probably entrepreneurs, uh, probably designers, uh, clothes designers, uh, fabric designers, uh, through uh, distributing materials all throughout Europe, opened up their home, very wealthy and affluent. All throughout the New Testament, wealthy and affluent people were opening their homes. That's not poverty theology. All throughout the Old Testament, wealthy individuals, King Solomon, one of the richest people ever on the planet, that's not poverty theology. And then you go to extreme, and then there's some people that believe in what's called a prosperity theology. And that if you're a believer and you're obedient to God, you've got to be rich. And if you're not rich, it's probably a sign you're just not very godly. If you're poor and sick, you're not faithful to God. That's, po- that's prosperity theology. And that's all throughout evangelicalism right now. You can turn on the TV and find a lot of prosperity theology and telling you that you need to be rich. And, and if you're rich, 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 then it's a sign of God's blessing and, and favor. And if you give, God's going to give you tons more money in return. It's a very, very materialistic idea. Um, the problem with that is if you look at Jesus, Jesus definitely didn't fit that paradigm. He was very, he's sinless, perfect, but he died homeless, crucified with two, two criminals. Or look at Jesus' disciples. They died a martyr's death and they were broke. So again, the Bible does not teach poverty theology. The Bible does not teach prosperity theology. The Bible teaches stewardship theology. Amen. Okay, laid that down. Here's what John Wesley said. Um, John Wesley was a theologian, evangelist, a a leader, a revival of the Church of England. Um, He says this, when the possessor of heaven and earth brought you into being and placed you in this world, he placed you here not as a proprietor, but as a steward. Steward. So when God spoke and made man and woman... The first thing he says, let's look back at it, Genesis 1, through 31. It seems like stewardship to me. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That means manage things. Subdue it. Control things. Have dominion. Have sovereign control over it. It's pretty wonderful. I think our Constitution affirmed these ideas. I think your home matters. I think everything you own matters. You're to manage it for the glory of God and for the good of other people. Genesis 1, 28 through 31, continuing, have dominion over the fish and the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the, every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 29, and God said, behold, I have what? Given Let's say it again. And God said, behold, I have given you. you. God says that. I I gave you this. I gave you every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth, every tree with the seed and the fruit. You shall have them for food. And to verse 30, and to every beast in the earth of every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, 
verse closing out, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very what? It's very good. So he makes us, and then he commands the couple, be fruitful, multiply. That means have babies. That means be productive. That means fill the earth. And then he says, subdue it and have dominion over it. And then he clarifies over everything, everything that's alive, everything that's going on. That's what you're supposed to do. So top three areas everyone must steward. Number one would be your time. For many of you, and I think many people in this church, it's easier to give money than it is to give time. Um, because time is really tough to get back. You can't. Money, you can go make more. Time, you can't. So, but steward your time. Your life matters. Some of you have had a brush with death or you know of a family member has, or you've lost a loved one recently, you're reminded of time and the fragility of it and the unknown hour that everyone dies unless there's a rapture. But our time is limited. And so you're to steward your time. Here's what the Apostle Paul said, is that you're to make the use of the, the, of the time, make, make, a, make every opportunity out of it. Uh, during COVID, this was kind of a champion verse for us uh, during the pandemic is that you just, we got to make best use of this time. Every single one of us should steward that. Number two, we should steward talent. You need to steward your talent. God has blessed you with spiritual gifts and personality and strengths and, and you're to steward that manage that and use it for the glory of God. You have a very unique personality, a gift mix that God has created. And the apostle Peter says, says it so clearly. Listen to what he says. As each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good what? Stewards. So ultimately you're a steward and you're to steward your talents. If you're you know, if my kids, they come home and they're depressed and discouraged that they brought home a C or something like that, I tell them, did you do your best? I, I did the best I could. Then I'm proud of you. Most of the time they bring home A's and B's, but everybody's got different strengths. Everybody's got different uh, gift mix. And not everybody's the same, and that's okay. But you're, you're to steward your talent. How you think, how you live. Every single one of you have a unique contribution to give to society and to the kingdom of God. You have a very unique opportunity with the things that God's entrusted you with, with the personality he's formed you with. You're not a defect. You're not a reject. You're not, a, you, you have everything you need. You may feel that you don't have what it takes. Well, God says quite the opposite. You have everything you need, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Amen? So use your talent, steward your talent, and this is according to God's varied grace. This is his common grace. This is not salvific grace. This is common grace. It means like uh, the, the way he made you, the way he's gifted you. you. Use that for the glory of God. And then last... This is the topic we'll tackle next week and the following is steward your treasure. This is about financial management. This is about wealth. Steward your treasure. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your what? Let's try that again. Honor the Lord with your what? Wealth. With your wealth. So how God has blessed you, if you have a lot or you have a little, you're to honor the Lord with it. Not gripe and complain to the Lord. Um, not dishonor the Lord. Dishonoring the Lord with your wealth would look like spending and wasting all your money on things that can hurt you or hurt somebody else. Or spending money and using money that's not used to bring blessing, but actually creates more of a burden. You're to honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord. You use it for the glory of God and for the good of others and to enjoy, by the way. According to the, the Apostle Paul and his uh, protege Timothy, we'll look at that passage next week. 
wealthy people are absolutely affirmed to do good with their wealth, but they can enjoy it too. And by the way, if you have a refrigerator and a roof over your head, you are by global standards rich. You are. So honor the Lord with your wealth and another thing here with the first fruits. This would be um, honoring the Lord with first fruits is the, the first part of the harvest and with all their produce. Uh, the Israelites were always commanded to even leave sections of their field where people could come by that were needy so the landowners could be a blessing and they would have more than enough and then they would allow others to come in and to pick the corners of the fields as to be a blessing to other people. So honoring the Lord of the first fruits and then the, the verse 10 says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God was uh, protecting and promoting his people to be a blessing. Treasure is very important. And Jesus said it like this, Matthew 6, 21. Uh, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So if you treasure your, your, your marriage, uh, and your heart's there, then it'll show up in the finances. If you have a heart for your wife or a heart for your husband, then you're spending money on it. If you have a heart for education, then you're going to spend money on it. If you have a heart for business entrepreneurialism, then you're going to spend money on business entrepreneurial projects. If you have a heart for the church, you're going to put money into it and invest it for the glory of God. If you don't have a heart for your marriage, you don't put any money into it. If you don't have a heart for education, you won't spend any money on it. If you don't have a heart for the church, you won't give anything. Jesus said it, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what did we learn? Let's review. Stewardship is managing every resource on earth for the glory of God and the good of others, including oneself. That's a powerful point. It's everything I've got, Lord. I'm going to use it for your glory. I want to bless other people, but I can enjoy it too. There's nothing wrong with that. Secondly, we've learned often ownership often leads to personal freedom and the flourishing of others and oneself. If you own something, it is yours to give. If you own something, it is yours to lend. If you own something, you can be a blessing. If it's not yours, it's not yours to loan out. If it's not yours, it's not yours to give. Ownership often leads to personal freedom and the flourishing of others and oneself. Additionally, God's word promotes the ideas of private property and ownership. That's a very important uh, point. And then additionally, the one that we're more familiar with, but it may be new to some, God is the ultimate owner of everything. And then lastly, we are ultimately God's stewards. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we would take it and receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for entrusting us and giving us so much um, in everything that we have. Might we use it for your glory and see things in a new light. Thank you for the freedom and the joy and the truthfulness and the goodness of Scripture, how it really changes so much. Um, in Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Well, hey, I want to share with you and highlight just a, a church planting effort. Uh, so we're planting churches through our network called Vision Arizona. So when you give, you're helping plant churches. Uh, we've got more church planters than I can recall in the last 10 years that are lining up uh, to help plant churches in Arizona. And here's why. Check it out.
All right, let's celebrate that for a moment. Over the next uh, few weeks and months to come, we'll be having some of these church planners cycle through. I'm partnered up and serve on a lead team with other churches in the valley and around the state to help sponsor and support church planners. I serve as well as a coach to help encourage uh, church planters and uh, just to encourage them. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going down to Mexico and another partner church that's going with us is a church that you help sponsor and promote. And uh, that's Mission Grove, Pastor John Craigle. So because of your giving, we've been able to do that. And Mission Grove is thriving. They're getting their new building coming up and they're in the Desert Ridge area. If you live real close to Desert Ridge, you perhaps have seen the signs, Mission Grove. Some of you have attended there. Let me tell you something. You are free to go to that church. We support that. One church can't reach a whole valley for Jesus Christ. If this is your church home, let's make, continue to make a difference together. But let's celebrate the work that's happening in Arizona. Great work. And then um, if you're not yet giving at our church, I would encourage you and challenge you to do that. You become a partner with us. And I want you in the weeks to come, don't miss these next few weeks. I hope that was encouraging to you, this foundation of ownership, the, the guts and the glory of ownership. And, uh, and, and I, th- I hope that helps. And then next week I'll teach on tithing. The following week will be sacrificial giving. So... Um, Let's pray, and then we're going to receive a a time of just worship and honoring the Lord with all that we have. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. And Father, for gifts that come in today, would you multiply those for uh, financial gifts that have been scheduled online? Thank you, Father, that together we can make a great difference for the glory of God. I'm excited to share more and more news with our church about the impact and work that we're doing. We pray now that our hearts would rise up, our minds and our voices to worship you, uh, maker of heaven and earth. You are the ultimate owner of everything and we are ultimately your stewards. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.